Okay, here we go. Now put it in reverse. Got it. Now forward. Okay. Reverse. Now turn the wheel. Turn the wheel. No, reverse. Reverse. Slow the down. Go kill it. Kill it. Kill the motor. There's a reason they say curse like a sailor. Then reverse. Many reasons. Progressive's boat insurance has you covered. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Well, we're docked now. Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is, you're one step closer to becoming your parents. You'll proudly mow the lawn. Ask if anybody noticed you mowed the lawn. Tell people to stay off the lawn. Compare it to your neighbor's lawn. And complain about having to mow the lawn again. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home an auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance, which, of course, will go right into the lawn. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discount not available in all stages or situations. Welcome to the NBA Front Office Show. I'm your host, Keith Smith. We are part of the Almighty Baller Network. I'm joined, as usual, by my buddy Pete Toll, as we are going to dive back into our off-season reviews, talking the Dallas Mavericks and the Denver Nuggets. Pete, we really did make it west this time. Yeah, finally. It seems like it took long enough. With, with the Kyrie IT4 news, it kind of put us a little bit further behind than we thought, but we're here. Absolutely, yeah. And if, if folks are wondering, why why did it take so long to talk Western Conference teams? Look, we didn't name the cities alphabetically, so exactly. we're just uh, going kind of down in order. We're not, not going to guarantee that's always the list we'll stick to, but we will go through that order. And then for my buddy Texas Chuck from Real GM, yes, this will be a deep dive. We are going to go deep on these rosters, and we're going to start it off with the Dallas Mavericks. That That's, again, my buddy Chuck's team there. So let's start it as we always do. Um, what we'll do here is we'll go through the outs, the guys who are leaving town, the guys who are coming in. Then we're going to ask a couple questions about the team, talk a little bit about what they still might need to do, talk about their cap space that they have left, what exceptions, if any. And then we'll kind of give our own little thoughts on stock up or stock down and get into it there. So let's start with the outs for Dallas. And we're just going to go kind of in alphabetical order here. None of these guys that are out, Except for one, who's, he's not really out, but he's not in yet, but we'll get into him in a minute. None of these guys who are out are big losses for the Mavs. So, Nicholas Bersino, he was a rookie last year, came over from Argentina, didn't really have much of an impact with Dallas. He's a guy I was tipped off to in last year's summer league that the Mavericks really liked a lot, but they just really ran out of roster space for a guy like him, did not want to guarantee his contract fully. So, he was waived, subsequently claimed by the Hawks. we talked a little bit about him on the Hawks show, so if you want to hear that, go back and listen to that one. A.J. Hammonds, he was a draft pick in the second round, big man center out of Purdue. Did not play much with Dallas as they had quite a few bigs on their roster for the bulk of the year. He was traded to the Heat for Josh McRoberts. We'll get into McRoberts and what he brings to the Mavericks. It was really a salary dump for Miami, and Dallas picked up uh, McRoberts in a pick in exchange for Hammonds. And then in that flurry of moves where the Rockets were piling up non-guaranteed contracts as they attempted to make the Chris Paul trade, 
the Dallas hooked up with Houston on two separate trades and traded them DeAndre Liggins, who they had claimed very late in the season after the Cavaliers waived him, and Jared Utah, and they were both traded to the Rockets. So those are the guys who are officially out and off of the Mavericks. Now the guy who's still kind of floating out there, Nerlens Noel. So let's talk about that situation a little bit because I think, I know, Pete, I'm sure you've been getting hit a little bit on Twitter. I've been getting hit a mm-hmm. lot on Twitter yep. with, why is Nerlens Noel not signed? Mm-hmm. So here's the reality. He's a restricted free agent, and the restricted free agent process can be tricky at best, I guess is the best way to put it. Is that fair, Pete? I would, yeah, basically. Good yeah, way to put it. So, so what's happened now is we're really in the NBA, by the time you hit the – time contracts can actually be signed most teams are out of money because they've already come to agreements over the course of the moratorium that eats up most of their cap space and that's exactly what happened so now people keep saying especially the celtics fans why are the celtics why don't they make a move at noel all that they could offer is the room is the veteran minimum exception and what ultimately dallas would say yeah thanks we're matching that immediately because that's a ridiculous salary for a guy like noel so Dallas continues to hold his match rights. He is still on, he's currently sitting on their books at about $11 million, 10.9 to be exact as a cap hold. That's his cap hold as a restricted free agent. Noel could also choose to sign the qualifying offer, which is about $4.2 million, which would put him under contract for one year for Dallas, and then he would become an unrestricted free agent in the summer of 2018 and be allowed to choose his own destiny. If you remember back to Greg Monroe was the last prominent player to take this path, he did that with the Detroit Pistons, where he signed the qualifying offer when he and Detroit could not come to an agreement on a long-term deal, and then he became an unrestricted free agent that summer and bolted for Milwaukee. So, Pete, what do you think ultimately happens here with Nerland so well? Keeping in mind, news broke this week that he turned down $17.5 million starting salary. Yeah, that's what I was just going to bring up. When CJ McCollum comes out on Twitter and basically kind of says, that you got some bad people around you that advise you wrong, then then you know something's kind of fishy there. With with Noel, I mean, it's almost to the point where he's playing a cat and mouse game, uh, thinking that I guess him or his agent or people around him thought, okay, well we're worth a lot more. But what they don't, you know, kind of see is from Dallas's standpoint, if Noel is not necessarily able to stay completely healthy, that's a lot of money to invest. And, you know, someone that, that may or may not play, you know, 70 games or more in a season. And Noel can actually do himself, you know, a favor by playing well this season underneath the qualifying offer and then getting the offer that maybe that he thinks he's worth next season, whether it be from Dallas because they see that he played a year fully healthy um, and produced very well or from another team that, you know, might need his services. Yeah, it, it's really interesting, right? Because I think you hit kind of the nail on the head when you said they're playing cat and mouse. And for me, now it's just become a staring contest, and it's about who's going <laughs> to yeah. play first. Right? Mm-hmm. It's uh, the the what I was told by by folks who know what's going on with the situation is he wants around twenty million dollars. The Mavericks want to pay him twelve to fifteen, and the Mavericks have no reason to move off that. 
because worst comes to worst, he signs. Now, Dallas, a lot of people have been like, well, what if he signs the qualifying offer and then he leaves? They got a season and a half and then he left for nothing and they gave up stuff. Well, all they really ended up giving up was a couple second round picks. So it wasn't, you know, Justin Anderson, yeah, sure, you know, that all kind of depends on what you think, but he wasn't going anywhere with, uh, with Dallas. So, it wasn't much to, to give up there. And they also got out of the money they owed Andrew Bogut and those kind of things. So this one is, is going to be interesting. I do think it's going to be one that's going to drag out for a while. My prediction is they don't come to a deal and he ultimately signs the qualifying offer. And that just guarantees that by the time we're done recording this show, probably minutes after we get off mm-hmm. recording, they'll have come to a long-term deal for bigger money. But that's my prediction that he signs a qualifying offer. You got one? I, that's the same thing I, I'm saying because I, I feel like, like I said, he's got to prove that he can stay healthy. He's got to prove that an entire season he can be a starting caliber center. Yeah, absolutely. So, so let's now talk about some of the guys who are coming into Dallas. But, but before we get into that, I want to start with a guy who he, he's certainly not coming to the Mavericks. He's been there forever, but Dirk Nowitzki, he re-signed two years, $10 million. Second year is a team option. So similar to the contract he signed last year, just for far less money, um, than he had signed for the previous year. And it is just a flat five million in the first year, flat five million in that second year. What Dirk and the Mavericks are basically doing is he is, he's just kind of taking whatever money they, they feel comfortable giving him and leave them with a little bit of flexibility and then signing that team option so that Dallas has that flexibility again to move on from him and say, you know what? All right, we're done. And that's the smart move at this point because if he decides, I don't really want to play, then the Mavericks aren't stuck with any dead money. Uh, the next year. So, so that's a really, you know, smart move. This is a perfect example of a franchise player and his franchise being exactly 100% on the same page with how to handle this twilight exit strategy, if you will. So Dirk will be back in Dallas once again. I know, I think he's still pretty productive for what he is. He, he can't really defend anybody anymore, but what he's really turned into now is a stretch five and he's still mm-hmm. one of the best shooting big men in the entire NBA. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And, and, you know, I know we're going to talk about lineups and stuff, but now it's kind of like you could put him on second units and he can still kill guys um, with that shooting. So, you know, it's a win-win for, for Dallas and Dirk because you get a, you know, basically a franchise guy that's been loyal to you. You've been loyal to him and he's still productive even at, at his, um, you know, advanced age now. Yeah. You know, it's kind of funny because when I think about it, one of the things I think about is it would be kind of cool if, if to see him play somewhere else on a more competitive contender, cause he could fill a role for any number of contending teams. That would be massive. But then a bigger part of me says, as cool as that would be, it's way cooler to see this guy close out his career in uh, a Mavericks uniform and never have played anywhere else. Like I, you know, I'm I'm fairly confident in that that I don't think we're ever going to see Dirk play anywhere else unless, you know, he said to Mark Cuban, "I really want to win one more title," and it was like an in-season rental for the last six months of a year to a to a title contender. But I, I don't even think we're going to get there. He got his title in Dallas. He did what he you know, wanted to do. I think it's more important for him to stay right there and finish things out with the match. I fully agree. Fully agree with that. Yeah. All right. So let's get into the, the, 
the the big name, the one everybody's excited about that is Mavericks fans, and even some non-Mavericks fans are pretty excited to see this guy, Dennis Smith Jr., who they drafted in the first round after he slid a little bit in the draft. And then I was sitting watching the game with a scout, and he was going against Josh Jackson from the Phoenix Suns, and I had really good seats in Las Vegas right near the floor. And Smith's eyes got as big as dinner plates when Jackson came out to defend him. And then he proceeded to make Jackson look like he should be playing in the lower level of somewhere in like the Middle East. Like he just broke him down off the dribble. And Jackson's known to be, you know, his calling card, if anything, should be his defense. And Smith just went right by him. And the scout turned to me and I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep it friendly, but he said, this guy is a uh, butt kicking mf'er <laughs> and was all excited and you know jazzed up. So it was pretty cool to to see. And uh, that was when a lot of people started saying, "I think Dennis Smith might have Rookie of the Year written on him." And the other cool thing was, and then you saw Smith really he played very well throughout the remainder of summer league. Now there was a lot of talk early on that the Mavericks are going to start him right out of the gate. Rick Carlisle, you know, Hey, we're going to start him. But I think that was a little bit before they, you know, knew for sure Yogi Ferrell was coming back. Who I know they like quite a bit as well, but what are your thoughts on Dennis Smith? And do you think he starts night one? Well, first of all, with Dennis Smith, I was very, very high on, on Dennis. Um, I thought based on um, kind of after the, the draft lottery, realistically, um, he had a shot to go to Sacramento, um, you know, or Orlando. I really like this fit in Orlando, but I'm glad that um, he was able to fall to Dallas. Gives them a franchise point guard moving forward. But um, what Smith does is he's able to get to the rim, as you, you know, just alluded to. Um, he's very explosive as an athlete, even, you know, despite his injury. I mean, it's almost like he wasn't even – even hurt in, um, before he got to, uh, NC State when he was in high school. Um, he has that elite scoring, uh, mentality. He's able to get to the rim. He has good step backs to get open. Um, the one thing I will say, uh, a little bit needs to be a little bit better with his decision making, but that'll get better. And then of course, like any other, um, rookie prospect, especially from the point guard position, his defense is going to have to get better as far as man-to-man, things like that. Um, but to me, honestly, he's going to have the best season out of the point guards by far, um, way ahead of, and, and I'm a Sixers fan, way ahead of Markel Fultz as far as production goes. Um, yes, Dennis Smith will start, but no, I don't think Dennis Smith starts for the first 10 games or so. Um, I think they kind of ease him in. Um, and then from there he'll, you know, take off running with the uh, starting point guard role. All right, so you gave me a little bit of stuff to unpack there, so I want to take them piece by piece. So okay. let's go back to the starting conversation real quick because I think that's the quicker one. I actually think he is going to start to okay. start the year, and then I think what happens is I think because, like all rookie point guards do, he's going to have some struggles, then I think mm-hmm. that's going to almost give Carlisle that incentive to say, you know what, we're going to put you on the bench. Behind, you know, they have other options. They, they, Yogi Ferrell, Seth Curry can play the point a little bit. They could, mm-hmm. you know, they've still got Devin Harris and JJ Barea. So I think it's going to be, let's put you on the bench for a little bit. Not, not necessarily bench them out of the rotation, but just, you're not right. going to start. Let's watch some of these other guys. And then I think they're going to come back and say, 
All right, now you're ready to go, and then probably somewhere first of the year-ish, all-star break at the very, very latest, that becomes his job, and then he's just the Mavericks starting point guard for the next, I don't know, seven, eight years um, is where you, know, you could see that go. But I want to ask you, so, all right, so you think he's going to have a better rookie year than Fultz and Lonzo Ball both? I personally think he's going to be better than Fultz just from a – um, having the ball in his hands more because if you think about with Philadelphia, you've got uh, Ben Simmons there yeah. that's able to handle the ball a lot. So that's why I think he's going to be, um, you know, from a production standpoint, um, it's going to be better than Fultz. With Lonzo Ball, Lonzo Ball doesn't have the scoring mentality that um, Dennis Smith has, but obviously Lonzo is a better passer. But I think the combination of being able to uh, facilitate, um, with, you know, Dennis Smith at, at 18 points and six assists in, at NC State and that team was horrible. Um, I think those numbers are realistic for him in the NBA this season. Um, not 18 and six, but, you know, maybe 15 and, and five or so. Um, you know, it, it can easily happen. And with Lonzo, it's not going to be as many points, um, on the board, but, you know, maybe obviously higher assists, you know, the eight, seven, eight range. Uh, per game. So that's why I say better than those two. Interesting. Yeah. It's, it's going to be fun to watch it play out. You know, and that was one of the things that we had, had built up to us was the, the depth of this point guard class. You know, we just talked about three of them and then you still got, and at the risk of leaving some guys out here and getting a bunch of angry messages, but <laughs> guys like Frank Nilakina, uh, out there as well in this class. De'Aaron Fox, obviously. Yeah. Um, you know, there, there are definitely some, some good looking guards out there. You know, Malik Monk, if, depending on what you think of him, I, I know neither one of us thinks he's really a point guard. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it's, it's, it's definitely a good deep group. Uh, you've got guys who later in it, like Frank Jackson, who I know a lot of, has a lot of fans around the NBA. So it's, it should be a fun, fun group to see that grow. And it's been one of the deeper positions for a while in the NBA. And now it, it looks like it's only going to continue down that path. So, so now let's move on. Though, though, that, that's really the big one for Dallas because the rest of the offseason, they, I don't want to say they sat it out, but they, they are really kind of, they're, they're keeping their powder dry. They're not doing a whole heck of a lot. So Josh McRoberts, we mentioned he was brought in from the Miami Heat. McRoberts is a guy who he, you know, he takes a, a lot of crap for things, but when he's healthy, he's actually a pretty productive player. And I wouldn't be shocked at all if he's healthy, if Rick Carlisle gets a fairly good season out of McRoberts just because he'll use his ability to handle the ball and pass, which he's one of the better ball handling and passing bigs in the entire NBA. It wouldn't surprise me if he uses that to a really good, you know, ability over the course of the season. Yeah, absolutely. I think so too, because in all honesty, he does those things, both of those things well, which could help, you know, lead to points for other guys. Whereas someone in the rotation like Dwight Powell you know, not able to have the passing yep. um, ability to find different guys. So, yeah, yeah, I think we're going to see, you know, Dirk's obviously not, he's not going to play 82 games probably ever right. again. He's probably going to play, you know, it'll probably be kind of something along the lines of play two, sit one out, those kind of things. They might, you know, sit him for a week here and there. And I think on those nights, that's when you're going to see McRoberts kind of step in and do, do, uh, uh, 
a different style, but a good Dirk replacement at this point um, with that. And then I th- he's the kind of guy, too, I could see as the season goes along, maybe his role lessens if the, the Mavericks are, are out of it um, somewhat. So then then we're going to get into the, a host of guys. The, the two that uh, – well, let's do the other veteran that they brought in, and that's Jeff Withy. He was signed just recently. He was brought in on a two-year minimum contract. Don't, I have not been able to track down the exact guarantees on that contract yet. Um, to this point, but he, he's going to come in. He's at this point, he's your, you know, third, fourth center. You know, he's mm-hmm. not, not much more than that. That was a curious signing to me. I, I just, I didn't see a need for, for the Mavericks to have that. I feel like they've got that center spot covered with Dirk. McRoberts can play there. They've got Powell. They've got Salah Mejri. I, I just didn't, that one didn't make a lot of sense. So, all right. You got any thoughts on with you to the Mavs? Um, just like you said, just the end of the bench guy can come in and give you some minutes to, you know, set some screens, you know, get a rebound or two, nothing, nothing flashy or fancy. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's funny because I think we tend to think of Salah Mejri as a young guy because he's only headed into his <laughs> third year, but he's actually 31. So, yeah. you know, so he's not young, but Dwight Powell's still fairly young. He's only 26. So I'd rather mm-hmm. see both of those guys play than, than with you at this point. You know, it's, right. uh, it's funny with you. Is, uh, he's he's only 27, so I mean, I guess it, it feels like, gosh, it feels like he's been around a lot longer. Uh, um, yeah, yeah. So you know, so I mean, maybe he helps, maybe he does not. I mean, he might not even make the roster. You know, it's 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 hard to know at this point. So and then the the next guy who I think has a chance at being somewhat of an impact guy, I think at some point is is Dirk's countryman Max Kleber. Um, mm-hmm. and he is coming in from from Germany. He is a uh, He's a big kid. He's, he's kind of got a little bit of that from, from what I remember reading about him and seeing. I know you know more about him, so I should probably just cede the floor to you, but he's a little bit of that stretch. He's almost kind of like, like a mini Dirk. Am I right on that? You're very right on that. He's 6'11", 7'3", wingspan, very good three-point shooter, um, very athletic as well. Um, kind of reminds you, his athleticism reminds me of Jan Vesely, um, being able to run the floor in transition. But unlike Vestley, um, Kleber can actually really shoot the ball from three, like really good. Um, the problem with Kleber is he's been injured so much. Um, one thing many people that are listening would probably don't know is he actually almost was in the NBA a few years ago with the Atlanta Hawks. And right as he was about to sign with the Hawks, he gets injured in the workout at the very end. And so that kind of stalled it there. Um, because uh, Dennis Schroeder is actually on the Hawks, you know, which he's also from Germany. So that's kind of where the connection um, was there. But um, I think with Kleber, you know, it's just he's going to enter interject a lot of um, you know transition buckets in the team, and then give them that outside shooting prowess from the four and five spot. Um, being 611. I, I may have my timing off here, but if, if I remember correctly, that was when the Hawks, kind of the, the rise of Mike Muscala came about, right? Mm-hmm. He, it was. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was like right around, and he might have, he might have had that job, right? He might have been, you know, in yeah, the exactly. Muscala job. So, you know, yeah, I think, I think he's an interesting guy. I don't, I, it's got, I think from what I've seen, I don't, it's going to take him a while to be ready to play NBA defense. Mm-hmm. Um, but Carlisle does a good job with his defensive kind of, 
he builds a game plan where it kind of, I don't want to say hides guys, but he's able to work around defensive deficiencies. He's certainly had guys who've had that issue in the past, and it'll be interesting to see. So I think there's, you know, I think he might be a guy who you see start out maybe in the NBA GL some, and then might move in eventually to the, uh, to the, to the Mavericks and in the rotation late. And now, and then we're going to get into the whole host of guys who are coming in on, uh, basically camp type contracts. So there, there's quite a few of them. So I'll take the first one, um, cause I know I saw this guy two years in a row in summer league, Brandon Ashley. Ashley's an interesting kind of guy. He's a real bouncy prospect. He can get up and down the floor. Very good athlete. Doesn't shoot it great. Um, he's, he, he's not going to give you any of that stretch kind of game, but he's a pretty good rebounder. He's not afraid to get in there and mix it up despite the fact that he's kind of slight in his build, but he is able to do some different things, brings a lot of good energy to the game. So it's a guy that the Mavericks, they're bringing him in. He's on a non, well, he's on what's called a summer contract or an exhibit 10. If, if people are wondering what those are and what that basically means, it's a completely non-guaranteed contract that only has like slight protections in case of injuries and things like that. It also does not count against the cap unless the player makes the regular season roster. Then if they make the regular season roster, it converts to a regular non-guaranteed contract, which then would become fully guaranteed on January 10th. But they're only allowed to be one-year deals. It, these kind of harken back to when teams needed to really fill out a camp roster and no one had any form of cap space. And before these partial and non-guaranteed contracts were in vogue, this is what teams used was these these so-called summer contracts. And now what we're seeing is, again, as cap space is, is somewhat limited, in addition to the 50K rule, which says a player can make no more than 50K and then be an affiliate player for the, the G League team, we're seeing these kind of come back into vogue a little bit. Several teams have used these deals. And what that, what an affiliate player is, is different than a two-way player. An affiliate player is, so let's use Brandon Ashley. He goes to camp with the Mavericks. The Mavericks wave him at the end of camp. Then as an, they can designate him as an affiliate player, and then he goes to their G League team. A two-way guy is a guy who's actually signed to a contract with the club versus a guy who's there. So Ashley, in that case, he's still an NBA free agent. Just the Mavericks have that little bit of control to say, hey, we want you to go play for the Texas Legends for us and stay in our system. So, so we're starting to see these come back in. Which, which he actually did. He, in 2015, he yep. was with the legend yep. as an affiliate player. So that'll be kind of cool to see him go back and, um, you know, be there as well yeah. after playing last year, he played in, uh, the German league. So, and the Mavs are one of the teams that they tend to stock their G League franchise with NBA mm-hmm. caliber guys. Um, guys, they, they've had a lot of guys get called up. A lot of guys, um, come in. They, they've had a lot of guys who are former NBA players. Ben Gordon, for example, played for the Texas Legends for mm-hmm. a while as he was trying to trying to get his way back to the NBA. Manny Harris. Yeah, Manny uh, Harris got called up last yep. season. Yeah, so so they, so they definitely do do that. Um, I want to just mention while we're on the topic, the next three guys we're going to talk about, in addition to Ashley, they are all on these summer contracts. So, so that way we don't have to say it on each one. Um, but I'm going to kick it to you to talk a little bit about, well, you know what, let me take one more. Um, John Clavel. This is a guy who's out of Colorado State. He had a great summer league. He can really shoot the ball. He, I don't know how much else he can do. <laughs> um, you know, but we've seen shooting is a, is a 
priority for NBA teams. If you can shoot, you have a home. So I think he's a guy who's going to get some looks here. Dallas, we know how much they prize shooting. They have, you know, shooters up and down the roster at just about every position. So he's a guy who's going to get a real shot at making this club. I know the Miami Heat had him on their summer league teams, both in Orlando and Las Vegas. And the rumor was they were really trying to get him to Miami and just didn't have working out. So he ended up signing with Dallas. So I think he's a, he's a guy at a, bare minimum if he does not somehow pull off a miracle here and make the Mavs roster he will be on the Texas Legends in the G League almost assuredly so all right so now I'm going to kick it to you talk about the other two summer contract guys PJ Dozier who's a rookie and then uh, Malik Wayans who is a um, NBA veteran trying to make another run at it with uh, Dozier he you know basically high level um, defender basically he's an athlete he, to me, honestly, he doesn't do a lot um, on the offensive end. He's not a very good shooter. Whoever you know he works with, whether it be Dallas or another team, they're really going to have to work on kind of reworking his mechanics, especially um, anything that's 18 feet and further out to the three-point line. Um, he can't shoot free throws. So basically I think his role is going to be, okay, you come in, kind of be a defensive stopper for – you know, the last minute of a game or something like that, that's the kind of role that, that he needs to kind of strive for, you know, this season to work, you know, towards. And as he, you know, gets experience, whether it's in the G League um, or if he tends to go overseas, what he really needs to work on is, is upping his offensive game for sure. Yeah, let's, uh, Pete's being really kind <laughs> to Dozier. He is Michael Carter Williams if Michael Carter Williams was an even worse shooter. <laughs> He's just really bad. Uh, I have his numbers up here from his sophomore year at South Carolina. He kind of came to prominence because he's a big kid. He's six foot six. He's very much a point guard. He played with Sandarius Thornwell as South Carolina made that, uh, NCAA Final Four run, but he shot 40%. From the field overall, 29, almost call it 30 if we want to round it and be a little kinder percent from the three point line and only under 60% from the free throw line last year. He did average 14 points per game, but that's all on baskets, you know, inside in the, in the scoring area there. And it's not like he shies away because he took 141 three pointers last year. Mm-hmm. So he took, he's broken. Yeah, it's just, in his form is just bad. It's, you know, he's a guy, he's gonna have to really be a lockdown defender at the guard position. Probably, probably could defend both positions. I, I think he's probably an NBA quality defender there, but his offensive game is so bad, I just can't see it working out. And he's a guy though, I think, he might do better over in Europe where it's a little more mm-hmm. free flowing and you yep. can, can get away sometimes without, um, coaches know how to use guys like him there because he's a pretty decent you know passer um from what we've seen seen out of him a little bit it's it's people will look at assist numbers in college you you don't pile up assists in college generally the way you can and other levels so so i wouldn't get too too much worked up on that so all right pete break break down the next guy for us uh break down malik wayans uh so with malik i gotta take it all the way back to the 2012-2013 nba season that's kind of when he started um, with, you know, the 76ers basically gave him a chance. He played sparingly, was waived, and then he got signed to um, a 10-day contract right after that. Um, and then kind of fast forward to later that season, 
he was signed to another 10 day deal, uh, or a series of 10 day deals with the Clippers and then brought on for the rest of the season. Um, with Malik, basically he's not very much a facilitator. He is all about scoring, um, getting to the rim, kind of shooting in that mid range pull up area, things like that. I think this is a chance for him to kind of test his skills um, against NBA caliber, you know, competition. And then they can either stash him in the G League or he, you know, gets some kind of, you know, pretty good contract in a, in a mid-level overseas team. Um, but I don't think that Malik will actually make the roster just given the amount of point guards and, um, you know, two guards on the team currently. Yeah, I have a hard time seeing, for the same reason, I have a hard time seeing him crack that. I do think he might be a, one of these guys. So this is a good chance. We're going to use him to talk about something right now. Because a lot of people say, you know, these guys can make all this money overseas, which is definitely mm-hmm. true. They make more money overseas than you do in the G League. That's part of the reason why we have the two-way contracts. Mm-hmm. They raise the G League pay. They're trying to make it more attractive. But you talk to these players, which I've talked to a lot of these guys, and what you hear from a lot of them is they just want to be home. They, they don't want to be, you know, over in, you know, Russia or Israel, which are where, uh, Wayans played last year. He played in both those places last season. The year before that, he was in Italy. Before that, he played a, a portion of a season in Puerto Rico. Um, these guys start to say, you know, I'd rather be home and make a little less money. If they've been smart with the money they've made overseas, then they can afford to take that lesser amount in the G League. And I think for them, it's about being a little closer, too. Like, I'm, you know, there's this sense of I'm one step away from from getting back to the NBA in the case of Wayans or getting my NBA shot in the case of the other guys we talked, like Dozier or Clavel or Brandon Ashley. So that's why, you know, I get a lot of these questions of why would anybody play in the G League well, that's why, because you're you're in the system. So I could see Wayans being one of these guys who may, maybe he's like this year's Manny Harris, right? Um, who mm-hmm. says, you know what? Hey, I'll uh, you know, I'll stick around here. I'm gonna, I'm good. I'm gonna stay here in the in the G League. And, and it's funny, you know, we've mentioned Manny, Manny Harris a couple times. He was actually drafted in the expansion draft by the yeah. Memphis Hustle. So he is uh, not on the Texas. The Texas Legends don't own his rights anymore. And and that's the G League also works kind of interesting because players have to sign a contract with the G League before mm-hmm. they're reassigned back to a roster and those kind of things. So so uh yeah, you know, and that doesn't mean that doesn't mean teams can't they couldn't reacquire him or things like that, but just just since we've mentioned Manny Harris more than a couple times already on the show, let's uh close that out with him. So so we got one more guy to talk and this guy's actually the guy who he is on the Mavs two way. He's signed one of their two two way contracts. So that's Jonathan Motley, big man out of Baylor University. He actually won Orlando Summer League. He hit the game winner um in overtime to to win it in the uh, uh sudden death overtime period uh, it was uh went all the way down to that when uh all of us cranky writers who had to go out to Las Vegas the next morning were like why is this not just ending we want to leave <laughs> and Jonathan Molly became our hero and ended it um but you know he's uh he's an interesting guy he's got a got a long ways to go but he's he's pretty strong he's got 
good good um, sense in the basket area. He kind of knows what he's doing there. Like a lot of Baylor defenders, it's going to take him a while because they play that junky zone. Um, it's it's in a ways it's it's even worse than the guys who come out of Syracuse as far as not knowing how to defend man to man. They did that happens with a lot of these Baylor guys. That's something that Torian Prince is kind of going through. Um, but I think he has more natural defensive ability. But but you know Motley's going to get this chance to to play on this two way. As a reminder, if you haven't listened to our other shows, we'll just talk about the two-way process right now. What it is is these players can play for the they, – they'll go to camp with the NBA team, and then they will spend all the way up until the G League season starts. Any time they spend with the NBA team doesn't count towards their max limit. And then their max limit is 45 days that they can spend on the NBA roster. Now, that's not 45 games. It's 45 days, so that includes practices, travel – games of course anytime that they're they're up there that that all counts and that's when that clock starts if they're up with the nba club and then they go back to the g league team then when the g league season ends that the clock effectively stops and they can then come back to the nba roster so you might see a team like dallas if dallas is out of it and not in a playoff push maybe motley comes back at the end of the year in march and april when the g league season is over and then he's playing minutes for dallas down the stretch as they're trying to figure out what they have if for some reason they do make it they are not eligible to be on the the uh, playoff roster. They're not playoff eligible with that. So that's kind of your little primer on the two-way contracts. I know we've got a couple to talk about with our second team here with the Denver Nuggets. But, Pete, you got any thoughts on Jonathan Motley? Um, with Motley, he's basically your typical energy guy. And one thing that I don't know that a lot of people may realize is that he actually um, had a late growth spurt. So he was more like a guard at 6'4". Um, for a while, and then obviously grew to six nine now. Um, good ability, like you said, around the basket. Really good offensive rebounder. But then he's poor on the other side. He does not rebound defensively very well. And it could be because of that zone scheme, um, not having experience against man to man. I'm not exactly, you know, kind of sure what it is why he's good on one side and not the other. Um, but I think that you know where he's going to get his bread and butter is being able to run the floor and transition getting in that pick-and-roll game, um, things like that. So he'll excel there. Yeah, you know, what I've noticed with those guys who come out of those zones is they tend to turn and block out with blocking area versus blocking Mm -hmm. a man because that tends to be the way zone kind of goes. Or they are used to you just grab whoever's close because that's what you kind of do in the zone, and then they – they might end up blocking out the same guy that someone else already has. So that's uh, just just something I've noticed a little bit. I don't, I don't know how much truth there is to that. That's something I have kind of a list of running questions that I want to ask coaches when I have an opportunity, and that's one of the questions I want to ask. Um, there is is that true? You know, with that. So it is, uh, you know, interesting to see, you know, what he'll do and see how they use that. The Mavericks have left their second two-way spot open, which would not surprise me if it goes to one of Ashley, Clavel, Dozier, or Wayans if one of them should impress in the season. So, so I'm going to flip it now into our questions and I'll start off, Pete, by asking you, who starts at the guard position for the Dallas Mavericks? Um, and let's assume, you said you don't think Smith starts opening night. So who are your mm-hmm. two starting guards then opening night? I think opening night they start um, Yogi Ferrell, um, you know, to start the season off. I know that people are probably going to blast me for that, but I just think because he has that year of experience, it kind of eases him 
or eases uh, Smith in. Um, at the two-guard spot, see, it's it's hard with Dallas because they like to play Dirk at the center spot, and then Harrison Barnes is, is technically better at the four. Um, but I think they slot in uh, West Matthews there at the two, and then um, Barnes is at the three, Dirk at the four, and then Noel uh, at the five. Now, that all changes if something goes wrong with Noel and he doesn't end up, you know, with Dallas or if there's some kind of, you know, sitting out situation, which I don't think happens, but – um, or they decide to um, bring Noel off the bench and go small with Dirk to, to start. Um, that could change things. But for my money, it's going to end up being um, Wes Matthews and, and Yogi Ferro, at least for the maybe first five or, or at max ten games, and then it's all Dennis Smith uh, from there at the point guard spot. Yeah, see, my thought is I think there might be a, call it a quote-unquote punishment of Noel for for this dragging out like this. And I mm-hmm. think you are going to see Dirk at the five, Barnes at the four, Matthews at the three. Then I think Seth Curry is in that starting five. And and I'm going to, and I said it, I think it'll be Dennis Smith Jr. I think he will start at the, at the one who will be the point guard, but, but it wouldn't shock me at all if it's Yogi Ferrell. I just think Curry was so good for them. I, I can't see them mm-hmm. pulling him and his shooting out of the lineup. And those, that's kind of that lineup with Ferrell. That's one of the lineups that worked better for Dallas. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's this case, it's one where Dirk, Barnes, and Matthews, they're all better sliding up a position. Than, and, yeah, and yeah. that was my thought, yeah. too, um, but I, I don't know that if you're going to pay Noel. I, I like your point that I didn't think of that, you know, kind of like a little slap on the wrist kind of uh, for, for Noel, but if you're going to pay him a lot of money, um, and say they do come to an agreement and he doesn't you know, go the qualifying offer route, then that's a lot of money to have the guy come off the bench. But then you've got to think of, um, you know, behind the, you know, the guard spot. Now Devin Harris would switch over to the shooting guard spot yeah. more than, than point guard. So there, you know, there's a little bit of depth there, uh, at that spot. Yeah. Harris is an interesting one because he's either going to have to play the two just because he's, he's got the most size of the rest of the guards that are mm-hmm. left or he's just probably not going to play at all. Anymore. Right. I know a lot of people are, why are they not just cutting him and moving on? Why did they not just eat the guaranteed money? Well, it's not what they do in Dallas, right? I, I think the Mavericks are being very realistic that they know, you know, if everything breaks right, sure, they could be in the mix for the eighth seed. But that's it. Like, that's the, the top end of where this team is going right now. So I think it's more of a, let's just be, be cautious here. That's why, you know, it's funny, right? Who would have ever thought if you go way back that Mark Cuban would be the one being fiscally responsible when he's one of the only guys with cap space yeah. left. You know, he's not spending money left and right and signing all these, you know, veterans and these washed up guys. I think he's got the right crew in there now, you know, with, uh, with, uh, Donnie Nelson and team that he really listens to and lets them, you know, kind of run things and not, you know, doing all the crazy stuff like what Dallas did for a little while there under Cuban. I think they're just, you know, why, you know, there's no point. Let's just be be smart about this and kind of kind of take it as it goes with that, and that's going to lead me into my my next question is, I think the only thing that they still need to do resign Nerlens Noel, right? Like get that mm-hmm. resolved, or you know, or let Noel just sign us qualifying off or whatever it is. Ideally, get find a middle ground and get this done, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. I, same same with me. Yeah, I just it's you know it's it's he's still a good player. You know, let's not be, be stupid about this. And, and CJ McCollum is right. If they're throwing you 17.5 million, just take it. You know, good grief. You know, you're not that good. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was just say the likelihood of him say he, um, obviously, you know, you can't, you know, on the time machine, you can't go back, but no one else threw an offer out there that Dallas would have had to match. Yeah. So it's, I mean, your market wasn't there to begin with. If, if Dallas and, and your previous agent, which he fired his agent, yep. uh, if they, if he was able to get you that 17 million and Dallas was only looking at 12 to 15 and Mark Cuban actually came off of that differential, you take that and run because that's not going to happen a second time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, so just to kind of close it out here with the Mavs, uh, quickly, just a little bit of look of what they've got left for cap space. As it stands today, they don't have any. They're functioning, functioning as an over the cap team. So they do still have their full non-taxpayer mid-level exception, which is about 8.4 million. And then they do have their biannual exception of about 3.3. The reason they're over the cap is because of that $11 million cap hold for Noel. They also have, uh, a, uh, big, uh, not big, but cumulative Good amount of trade exceptions for Justin Anderson, AJ Hammonds, DeAndre Liggins. Those are all up over a million. Bo gets about 600,000 left on that one. Utah, 47,000. It's just, you know, that those last two virtually unusable, um, you know, at any point. Um, just a reminder on trade exceptions. You can't bundle them all together and use them to, you know, go trade for a guy who makes, you know, four or five million. That's not allowed. It's not how that works. You have to use them individually, um, whether to trade for or claim a waived player, um, with those. But it is, uh, you know, they're really just kind of sitting in the spot where they're there. Now, if they did say, you know what, all right, we'll, we'll move on from Harris. We'll eat the 1.3 million he's owed. Uh, we'll cut Dorian Finney Smith and eat the 100k there. Um, we don't know the guarantees for Withy just yet. Um, they could still get to about 20, 20 to 22 million in cap space if they also said, you know, we're done with the Noel situation. We're just going to renounce you. We're going to move on. But at this point, who are you going to use it on? There's nobody to use that money on anyway. That makes sense for them. So I think really you're, the, the Mavericks are, I would be shocked if other than bringing back Noel, if they did anything else before we got into the season. Yeah, I don't think so either. I mean, what realistically, what are they going to be able to go after to, to kind of balance the roster. I think, you know, they're kind of set um, with who they like at each position. And then they have, like, you know, we talked about, they can shift guys, you know, up or, um, you know, down as far as, you know, positionally. So, you know, they have options at different positions. Yeah. So, you know, I want to ask you one more question. It's because it's, mm-hmm. this one just kind of popped in my head. So we're a year into it now. What do you think of Harrison Barnes' contract? Is is he proved worth what at the time was a max contract? I laughed about it at the time because I was like, Harrison Barnes, are you freaking kidding me? Um, I think last season he surprised a lot of people, including myself. I think he takes an even bigger step forward this year um, and really kind of cements himself along with, with Dennis Smith Jr. as kind of the um, guys moving forward as, as Dirk's career transitions out. I think – with Barnes, you'll see, you know, even if it's two points more a game scoring, other areas, his shooting percentages will be a little bit higher. Um, his ability to defend will be a little bit better. Um, those kind of things, I think, will all improve for Harrison this season. And, you know, so here's the thing with him, too. He turns, he doesn't, he only turns 26 at the very end of March with them. Mm-hmm. And I remember on the, the old show, right, the Unquestionably Raw podcast, I remember you and Matt kind of laughing when I was like, it's, I don't think it's a bad contract at all. I kind of love it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that yeah. was, I remember, my belief was 
give him more offensive responsibility outside of the Golden State system, and he'll blossom with it. And you know, and I, I, it's it's pretty rare. So I'm gonna pat myself on the back because yeah. I was right. No, it was a good call though. You were absolutely right, and and I'll eat crow because I I was not, you know, after his dismal performance in in the finals with Golden State, I was like, all right, so really, so Dallas, that's what they're gonna go after. And I mean, he's, he's proved, you know, perfect in, in that system. And a plus is, um, you know, he's had a really good, good offseason training and he just got married. So, um, all good things to help, um, his mental state going into the season to be even better. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I think he, you're, we have not seen the, the best we're going to see out of him yet. Now, I mean, he's not going to be a 25, 30 point per game score or anything yeah, like yeah. that, but, but it wouldn't, it would not surprise me at all if this year or next he cracks 20 points per game fairly with fairly good efficiency as well. Yeah. You know, I, I think he's, he's got that ability in him. All right, Pete, we always close each team with stock up, stock down. I'll let you go first on this one. Uh, can I go stock neutral? <laughs> um, yeah, um, that's kind of where I want to fall, but. But, uh, no, uh, I'm going to make you pick an up or down. Hmm. All right, let me say, I'll say this. Stock up if they can come to a reasonable deal with Nerlens Noel. Um, stock down if they end up, you know, if they come back with the $17 million deal or, or somewhere in that range, because I don't think that Norwell is really worth that much, but that's just my personal opinion. Um, overall, I'm going to go gut instinct. I'm going to go stock up because what we just talked about with Harrison Barnes making that improvement. And then I love Dennis Smith Jr. So for those two players alone, um, I'm going to have to say stock up. And I think Seth Curry is going to have another good year um, and, and kind of get himself out of Steph's uh, shadow as, as many people, why they still have him in his shadow, I don't know, because he's a good player in his own right. But I think those three guys are, are really going to be good for Dallas this season. All right. So I like that. And it's, it's not far off where I am. I'm going pure stock up just because I love the Dennis Smith pick. And I think he mm-hmm. is going to be a butt kicking MFR. You know, I think he's going to bring it. And I think he is just going to try and destroy those teams that passed on him in the draft. I just think he, he's got that in him. Um, I'm with you. I would actually lean, I'll still say stock up, but I'll go down a little if it gets to Noel just signs the qualifying offer. Cause I think if he does that, then he's out. I don't think he's right. going to stay. And that, that would be a loss because I think you need to be planning. He fits great with Barnes in the post dark yep. um, years. And then imagine if they could have him and then Kleber kind of can step forward. Now all of a sudden you got a little something there. So, um, you know, I, th- I think you're, you know, in, in pretty good shape, but you know, and that all that said, I don't think they're going to be very good. I think the rest of no. the West has just gotten so much better that they're going to struggle to do much um as far as on in terms of winning games but they're also not going to completely bottom out but it wouldn't surprise me if they're one of those kind of stealth tank teams post all-star break or all mm-hmm. of a sudden you know dirk's out for a week and you know oh barnes has a you know back spasms and you know those kind of things and you know right. we're just you know seeing the young guys play out the stretch so so it's uh you know a little interesting but i think long term the future is bright in dallas i think they got some 
nice things to build around, and they should be in a better cap position than some of their Western Conference brethren, which I think will help them long-term as well. So so that's going to close out the Dallas Mavericks. We always like to pause mid-show to remind everybody we are part of the Almighty Baller Network. Go over there and check it out at almightyballer.com. There's a lot of great shows over there. Um, people are starting to pick up their NBA preview content and get into things and talk about what's to come in the season. I, I'm going to guess, I haven't listened to all of them, but there's probably no shortage of shows that broke down the Kyrie Irving trade um, <laughs> over on Almighty Baller, like on every podcast. Um, including maybe, us. Yeah, including us. Yeah, yeah, we were there. So if you want to hear our thoughts kind of live when we were still getting info and reacting and figuring everything out. We, we recorded that. That's our last episode. So go back and check that one out if you're interested. And if you do enjoy our show, please head over to iTunes and give us a five star rating and review. I can't emphasize enough how much those help the show get out there and get known. It helps us climb when, when folks plug in just the letters NBA into the search. If they're looking, it bumps our podcast up the list and helps people find the show. And people tend to look and say, oh, this one has a bunch of good reviews. I'll give it a shot. And I can tell mm-hmm. you, those who, those of you who have left reviews, so appreciative of all of them because everybody's, you know, seems really happy with the show. I've gotten a lot of notes, whether they be on Twitter or to my email, um, which I also really appreciate. So thank you. We, Pete and I talked about it. There wasn't a show like this that went deep. Who, who else was going to talk about Malik Wayans for a couple of minutes? Mm-hmm. No, nobody else. You're yeah. not finding that. I don't even think the Dallas, uh, shows are doing that one. So, you know, mm-hmm. so we, uh, you know, that's what we wanted though. We, we are both, you know, huge roster nerds. We love this stuff. So, so we wanted to get into it. So hopefully we're bringing you the show you want if we're not send us a note you know, let, let us know you can email me find my email address it's in my twitter bio you know feel free to send me a note and just say you know hey your show sucks and here's why the here's why is important because if you just say it sucks i'm just going to delete it you know but if you right. actually say here's why here's what i don't like that's fine um you know we'll we'll hopefully you know work on getting better so you know please do us a solid and help us out if you enjoy the show if you don't enjoy the show do us a solid by letting us know why and what we can do better at and let's move on to the denver nuggets they are Big time changed, right? And it's funny because big time changed without a whole bunch of guys leaving, a whole bunch of guys coming. But they, they swapped some guys and they, you know, did want to, I mean, let's not bury the lead here. One of my favorite signings of the summer is the Paul Millsap deal. Yeah. But that comes second. So let's talk about who left first. So, so let's knock the two easy ones out of the way first. Roy Hibbert, whatever. It didn't matter. That was just the salary moving money around foolishness at the trade deadline last year. He was never going to be a part of the Nuggets. Never, you know, meant to be a part of anything there. And then Mike Miller. This one's a little interesting. So I had Adam Morris on when we did the Nuggets offseason preview, and he was of the mindset that they weren't going to waive Miller. Now I, th- I don't know that he thought they were going to need all the cap space they could get to go get a Paul Millsap either. But it was more around what Miller brings to the locker room and those kind of things. And, um, you know, but I think at this point, Miller's days of being any sort of contributor on the court are completely finished. Um, he, he just, he can't do it anymore. His back is just too, it's too bad. He can't move. He's too slow now to do anything with that. But they, so they did waive him. No, no cost, no cap it for them. And then the other guy who left town, Danilo Gallinari. So the, the centerpiece of the one time Carmelo Anthony trade, he was signed and trade to the Clippers. So Pete, what I want to ask you is we're both in agreement. I don't need to ask you. We're both in agreement that Hibbert, Hibbert and Miller mean nothing as far as on the court impact. What does the loss of Gallinari mean for this team? Well, it, you lose his shooting. Um, he's shown in, in recent years that he's able to 
um, slide up to the power forward spot and, and play that position really well and kind of kill defenders. Um, the only thing that, that, you know, the, the Nuggets kind of basically, um, moved away from with Gallinari and gained with Millsap is now they get a true power forward that, you know, can stay healthy. The knock on Gallinari is that, you know, he wasn't able to play in, uh, you know, basically more than 70 games the, you know, the past, you know, couple seasons and, and with Gallinari, um, I, I think he kind of was hinting around like, I want to be here, but I want to be here for the, you know, right offer kind of thing. So I think for both sides, it was, you know, time to move on. Yeah. And, and it's funny you mentioned he's not healthy and he's not healthy now. He had to haul off and no. belt the guy in the <laughs> uh, Euro basket deal and, and, uh, broke, broke his hand if I remember right. So that's a, yes. that's a great start to his Clippers career. Um, so yeah, so he was part of a sign and trade that saw him go out to the Clippers. Um, Denver ultimately what they got in that was not much they you know they they had they would have just renounced um Gallinari if they had to but they ended up um you know doing those moves to to help kind of help Atlanta get a piece and Millsap come in and all those kind of things so it was a it was somewhat somewhat complicated and it doesn't really matter because it didn't you know matter to anybody um the, the way it happened it didn't have any impact well, with, with Denver too, I wanted to say with, with Gallinari. So I'm looking at it and he only played in 70 games or more for the Denver Nuggets once. And that was the 2012-2013 season. He played 71 games. Last season, uh, is the closest that he got to that number, which was 63 games. Um, in 2013-2014, he didn't play at all, obviously. Uh, 2014-2015, 59 games. 2015-2016, 53 games, um, and before that in his career, the only time he played anywhere close to 82 games was 2009-2010 when he played 81 games at 21 years old for the New York Knicks. Wow. You know, and you know what? I, would, I you know, I'm, I'm not going to take the time right now to go and look at what the record was with him out of the lineup, mm-hmm. but I'm going to guess it hurt them not having him. And this was a team that just missed the playoffs last year. And they were trying. I mean, they were trying to get in. They didn't, they didn't want to be in the lottery again. And I'm just going to hazard a guess. Maybe if, let's say he could have made it to even 70 games. That's, mm-hmm. you know, there. And it's funny because, you know, I think you're like me. We're still both a little more traditional where we still look at that kind of 80 to 82 game mark as being the benchmark. And I, I don't think that's realistic anymore with the way teams rest guys. It's probably more in that 75-ish range mm-hmm. maybe should be the more kind of top end. And we'll see if that changes with the way the NBA changed the schedule this year to give teams more time off and less, you know, back-to-back some four and five nights and, uh, big games with travel and those kind of things. So that'll be interesting to see. But, you know, Gallinari, the thing that really impressed me over the last couple of years was his ability to get to the free throw line. Cause he, you know, was piling up, uh, free throw attempts and really became a mm-hmm. weapon, you know, as part of his game. So it's, it's, I think they, they are going to miss that, but something we're going to get into a little bit later in the show is, I mean, this team, they, they, good grief, do they have forwards? You know, you get forwards coming out of their ears. So, you know, so we'll, we'll get into that and break that down. So I don't, you know, I think it's more than a, because of the depth at forward and because of bringing in Paul Millsap, they are more than fine with what they did there. Um, the other guy, he's again, kind of, it's funny to the two teams back to back. The Nuggets have a restricted free agent hanging out there and that's Mason Plumley. Now, not much has been said about Plumley. I actually looked today to see what's going on. It's just 
kind of out there. Um, you know, so, so Denver is, you know, they're, they're not rushing to re-sign them or anything. It sounds like things aren't as, I, I hesitate to call Noel's situation acrimonious, but I don't think it's great with the Mavericks, but it sounds like Denver, they're all just kind of like, meh, you know, we'll, we'll figure this out. It's, you know, not a big deal. So, um, you know, Plumlee, I kind of like behind Jokic because I think he can do a lot of what Jokic can do. Um, mm-hmm. as far as, uh, he's nowhere near as good, but I think you don't have to change the way you play because Plumlee's a good passer. He's pretty good at executing the dribble handoffs and those kind of things, finding guys from the top of the key if he's the primary ball handler up there. So I think he can do, do some things. So I, I, I know from everything I've been told they want to bring him back. I think they're just saying, you know, hey, we just got to get to the number. And I don't know if they would be overly upset if he just, sign the qualifying offer unless he's going to take something that's really team friendly because they're looking at having to resign Nikola Jokic to a massive right. contract next season. I mean, it's going to have to be a max to yeah. for Jokic. So, so I don't think they're overly concerned about how things play out at this point with Plumlee um, just yet. It's going to have to be something that helps them to be mutual, mutually beneficial. Yeah, I think with with Plumlee, you know, they're going to come to a resolution because I think he realizes it and they realize that, you know, they're mutually beneficial for each other. Um, you know, Plumlee can roll to the rim if needed, uh, you know, get you a couple of rebounds here and there um, as well. So he does all the things, like you said, that that makes it seamless for when Jokic is out of the game. And one thing with with Jokic, just really quick, which shocked the heck out of me, I didn't even didn't even realize. He's only making what one point is it one point four million dollars yeah, or something like that. Contract, yep. I mean that I yeah. was like in shock. Yeah, so, um, when right. I saw that. So we're into it. Let's talk about him for a minute before we get into the guys I brought in because I think it is an interesting situation. It's more of a what's going to happen next year with Jokic, but I think this one is a little fun. If people go back, let's talk about, about his deal with his contract. So yeah, he's on a minimum deal. So he's at the two-year veteran minimum of one point. It's one million four hundred seventy-one thousand three hundred eighty-two dollars. That is the veteran minimum for veterans with two years of experience. And then his next year is again at the minimum for a guy with three years of experience, which is one point six million dollars, a little over that. But it's a team option. Now, if they were to pick up that team option, then he becomes an unrestricted free agent in 2019-20. How it works for these guys is, these second-round guys or these guys who are undrafted players, is if you come in and you sign that contract and you have less than three years or less experience in the NBA, you are a restricted free agent. Once you get that fourth year of experience, which he would get if he played for Denver on the team, if they picked up the team option in 2018-19, then he becomes unrestricted. This is the exact same situation that the Houston Rockets faced with Chandler Parsons. And what the mm. Rockets did was they ended up dropping the team option, but then they kind of goofed around, and then they let the Mavericks swoop in and create this massive offer sheet, and they signed Parsons away to it as a restricted free agent when the Rockets said, you know, we're not going to match that, you know, silly contract at the time. So what I think is going to happen is I think when we get into next year, they're going to decline that team option and make him a restricted free agent so that they have that, that control and that ability to match anything because the cap environment is very different. You're not going to have, you know, 
I, it's it's a little hard to project, but I, you're probably only going to have a couple of teams with the space, and it doesn't matter because anything up to his max, Denver would match anyway. Yeah, and the key thing with Jokic is when you get to that 2018-2019, he's still under 25 years old. Yeah. So, I mean, that's insane because I, I'm just going to say it. I think he ends up on an all-star team by the time he's 25. It may not be this season. Um, but I think he's getting there. He's gonna be, he's gonna be an all-star for sure. Yeah, if he doesn't make it this year, it's just because of the depth in the West. Right. There's really no, mm-hmm. no other reason. But yeah, he turns 23 in February. So, you know, it's mean, crazy. Is, yeah, I mean, he's, he's just, he's terrific. You know, good all-around player. But alright, so let's get back into what they brought in this year. We talked about it right off the jump with this team. So Paul Millsap, I'm gonna start it with just let's talk a little bit about his contract a little over 31 million dollars for this season then it dips down to 29.7 and then it pops back up to 30.5 but a team option so what the nuggets did was they gave him a bunch of money but they essentially made it a declining contract with a team option at the end which to me win huge massive win great job by denver and their front office team yeah i agree i mean he's already um, you know, 32. Um, he's coming off of four straight seasons as an NBA All-Star with Atlanta. And you're getting a guy that obviously we know what Paul Millsap can do, you know, score in a variety of ways, can score in the post. He can stretch the floor out to the three-point line, shoot it there. But he gives you a good 18 and, and eight, uh, 18 points, eight rebounds, um, a game and, and is really going to help more than, than people think guys like, um, Jamal Murray and, and uh, Gary Harris as far as perimeter players because, um, you know, he is able to kind of take, um, you know, some of the brunt of the outside scoring off of them to where they can kind of drive in and, and score um, there. Will Barton's another one. Jokic in the post along with Millsap is, to me, a dream, um, you know, front combo. Yeah, so let's let's hop back. So you mentioned he's 32 years old. He'll be 33 in February, but he's also got 10 years in the league. He came in at, at 22, mm-hmm. so he's a little little on the older side. There, he's not. Um, he wasn't one of these guys who came in at 18 or 19 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, so that 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 10 years is a lot, um, you know, for him. But he still was very productive with the Hawks the last you know handful of years. He, you know, Atlanta. We we talked about it a little bit. They blew it by not trading him. Last year, getting mm-hmm. something for him—that was just a huge mistake by the Hawks. But you know, and there's probably a reason why they have a new GM and they're running things. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, one of the things I, where I think he's going to help Denver the most is their defense, because this team was abysmal defensively. They were the 29th ranked defense by defensive rating, 112.7 points per game. Um, there, that's that's you know by by any measure, that's really really bad. Um, you know, it's just not, they, they're just a bad defensive team, um, last year, but I think Millsap's gonna help a lot, and I think what he's gonna do is he's gonna come in, he's gonna help Jokic, cause I think he's gonna be, he's gonna become the backline defender, in most cases, and then the other thing is he should help them clean up a lot of things as far as, you know, securing the ball. You know, when they do force a turnover or, you know, those kind of things. Cause the, the Nuggets, when I watched, they were almost a, occasionally a little too hyper. It was like, oh, the, the ball's loose. And before guys would take off and run, you know, for the other end. And it's like, you, you gotta get it first before you, you know, take off on the break. So, so I think he's gonna help there. I think, I, I don't know, maybe other than when the Warriors play, um, 
Draymond and Kevin Durant at the five and four, which is, you know, in the death lineup, I think Denver might have the two best passing big men. Um, as a, and they're doing it with a mm-hmm. traditional five and four and Jokic and Millsap or more traditional, I should say. Um, I, I, cause you know, Millsap's highly underrated as a passer and even mm-hmm. more than just assists, assists, it's, he's a great ball mover. He gets a lot of those hockey assists, you know, coming out of the Hawk system, which is largely based on the Spurs ball movement philosophies. He really knows how to, how to move the ball and get it to the right guy. So, you know, I think he's just going to be big time for them in a lot of ways. And again, going back to the contract, they really protected themselves quite well with that. Um, there. So now the rest of their off season, it, it's tough because these other two things happened before they had Millsap. So it's, uh, you know, at the draft, they doubled down on Tyler Lydon and Trey Lyles and brought in two guys who were both power forwards. Then they signed Millsap, who's really a traditional four. And then they still have Kenneth Reed. They have, Gomez, Daryl Arthur, Wilson Chandler, who could even be a small ball four for them. But so, I mean, this team is loaded down with uh, guys who can play the four. But well, let's take them one by one. Trey Lyles comes in after a couple years with the Jazz. Um, he didn't never really panned out. Never kind of took that step forward in the rotation. They 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 tried when he was a rookie. I remember him playing a handful of games when Derek Favors was down, and then when Rudy Gobert was down, he played some. Um, then last year, he never really stepped in there, despite again some injury concerns, because they were more comfortable with playing Joe Johnson at the four than they were giving minutes to Lyles. So, what do, what are your thoughts on Lyles at this point, two years in? Well, Lyles last season lost his confidence. I mean, that, uh, that was evident. Um, he shot 36% from the field, which is not going to get it done, um, especially being a power forward. Um, I think he still has the ability to stretch, you know, the floor pretty well. Um, he needs to rebound the ball consistently and, and really pay attention on defense because that's what's going to get him, you know, kind of unique playing time because the guys – that are at his position on the other end are all offensive guys that can do things. So if he can really learn the defensive side of things and kind of carve out a niche that way, that's the only way I really see him getting on the floor over a guy like Kenneth Fareed, um, or even before you slide up Wilson Chandler as a small ball four. Otherwise, I don't know that he gets a ton of playing time this season. Yeah, I, I just I can't see it. You know, I think for for what they they paid, whatever. I, I don't think that's the the end of the world there, you know, for that. And they did get lied. And now I think that was that the pick that became Donovan Mitchell. Yeah, it was. Yeah. So that's a little tough, but you know, Mitchell wouldn't have cracked this rotation either with Mari and Harris there. So, you know, so that's, right. that's a little tricky. You know, I think it was more a case of, all right, let's, uh, you know, kick the can down the road a little Tyler <laughs> Lydon. I don't know. You know, I know some people are like, oh, I think you might be able to play the three from what I saw. Over mm-hmm. that summer league. No. no, not a chance. He, no. he's already, seems like he's too slow to play the four, almost. Um, you know, he's supposed mm-hmm. to be a shooter. He's another guy who comes out of that Syracuse system in that stupid zone and he just stinks on defense. He, so. Uh, to me, everybody keeps calling him a shooter, mm-hmm. but he doesn't shoot well off the dribble. No, yeah. He's a standstill shooter. And then, as a power forward, he doesn't even play inside. No. He stops short all of his shots. If you watch his game tape at Syracuse, are floaters or little short little chip shots yep. at the rim. And so it, it's kind of questionable there 
other than being a pick and pop standstill guy, how does he really fit in into the scheme that that Denver wants to go for? I know they picked him before they knew that they had Paul Millsap, but it just to me it's like really what is he going to do to be able to stay on the floor? Especially with a defensive first coach and Mike Malone. Yeah, and then, you know, we'll get into this with the fact that they have two two-way guys. They don't even have a G League team. So it's, mm-hmm. it's not, you know, they're going to have to work out an agreement, which is not a big deal. Teams do it all the time, and they're obviously with two two-way players. They're going to gonna figure that out and get, you know, something worked out with some other club to have them there. I, that's what I expect. I mean, there's just no minutes. There's going to be no minutes available for this guy at all to play because we just, we rattled off what, five, six guys who are roughly play the same spot. So, so yeah, I don't, I just, I can't see it, um, you know, at all with that. Now there's, there's value in guys who can, who can be standstill shooters, especially if they can be a stretch four type. But that can't be all you, you, you do. You have to be able That's to do That's the only thing they can do, right? Yeah. So, you know, but he is still young. He, I mean, and, but he's not even super young. He's 21. He's going to be 22 years old, um, at the hmm. end of the season. So, you know, so he's not, it's not like he's 18, 19. You know, we gotta, got to start figuring this one out. It's just kind of a, I don't know, even, even without knowing they had Millsap, you, you, you just acquired Lyles. Like, I don't know. This one didn't make a lot of sense. To me, especially after you re-signed Arthur last year, and you still have Chandler, I, and yeah, I, I don't I, get it. I think they got taken for kind of you know and taken off guard because OG Ananobi was going to be their pick yeah. from everything I saw, yeah. and then they just rushed and panicked, and they were like, "Oh, we'll, we'll take Tyler Lydon." Yeah, yeah, absolutely fun. right. It could have been you know it's uh it's hard to know right because either one of us were there in the. Uh, Right. You know, um, I mean, they could have been enamored with them, you know, and they could see a lot more than we don't see. That's why we sit on our couch and do podcasts yeah. and they're NBA, <laughs> NBA exec. That's so. it. Yeah. We do the NBA front office show versus running an NBA front office. Yeah. Um, you know, so all right. So now let's talk about their two way guys. Um, first I want to talk about Monty Morris, a uh, guy out of Iowa State. If I remember right. Yeah. I do. Yep. Right. Yeah. He's, he's a little bit of a bigger guard, about six foot three. I like them. Um, you know, I know there's a lot of people like, he can't shoot, he can't do this, he can't do that. I, I don't know, I kinda, I, he seems like he's kinda tough. He's got a good mindset, he showed good leadership, he was, you know, yelling at guys, pointing guys into the right place. Um, so I kinda liked him, um, a little bit in summer league. Now his was a little interesting cause he was drafted by Denver in the second round. And it's, uh, and yet he signed a two-way contract. Now we've not seen a lot of guys drafted sign those two-way contracts because now what you've done, now you no longer is draft rights. So after one year, he's out of, out of the picture. So, you know, that, it's a little bit of a curious decision by the Nuggets, but, you know, I don't think it's so much so that, you know, it's not going to make or break things at all. Um, with Monty Morris. And then Tory Craig, this guy's really interesting. Um, he was undrafted in the NBA draft in 2014. He has been playing overseas since then in both Australia and New Zealand. He is, he's a kind of prototypical wing. He's about six foot six or so. He played for Denver in their summer league team and did, did pretty well. Averaged 11 and a half points per game, shot 46% from the field. Can't shoot it from the outside at all. Doesn't even really try. But he's an interesting guy. I think at 26 years old, nearly 27. Um, he'll be 27 just before the um, holidays kick in. 
I don't know. We'll see. I kind of question, is this the guy you want on a two-way? You know, especially when you don't even have your own G League team. I don't know. This one, we'll we'll see. You know, maybe they see something in him that I don't. Now, his defense was really good in the, in the MB, uh, MBL, which is the Australian. Yeah, it was, yeah. Um, he, you know, he did really well, um, you know, as far as scoring off of offensive rebounds and just around the rim from what I saw on the, on the little bit of game tape that I watched to prep for the show. But you're right. You know, the outside shooting's not there. Um, and then as far as, um, his age, he's already, you know, kind of up there, you know, to be a, you know, prospect that he would use that two-way contract on and then he does not shoot well um, from the free throw line so all those things kind of mix together I think he can carve out a niche as as being a a defender on the team you know maybe you know a little bit if if they're in a pinch or something like that but that's a really bad pinch to to be in Um, and then going back to, to Monte Morris I think for me what what I liked um, from what I saw in um, summer league, especially more than, cause I, I don't really like to, to gauge guys, um, as far as, you know, their college, you know, ability because you have other teammates that may not be invested in the program as well. Things like that is a perfect example is, is what we talked about with Dallas and Dennis Smith Jr. You know, the guys surrounding Dennis Smith Jr. weren't very good. So it made the, you know, made his numbers look a little less, um, stellar than what they could have been. Uh, but going back to Morris, um, very good in the pick and roll, and he's just reliable. Yeah. He's that guy that can come in as a heady point guard and, and you know can run the team. Um, is not going to make a ton of mistakes as far as, you know, running the offense. You know, it's just the thing is going to be that he's got to improve his range out to the three-point line, and that'll come in time, but that's not really what he's there for. He's there to run the team, um, make the smart basketball plays, and I think he can do that pretty well. I like the two-way contract that he signed because it gives them the ability to show what he can do um, in that 45-day window. Um, if it's not going to be for Denver for next season, then it could be for another team maybe, you know, having their eye on him. Yeah, you know, and he, he was a, uh, I'll call it a three-and-a-half-year starter in college. He, you know, started half of his freshman year, and then every other game he played as a sophomore, junior, and senior. He did average, you know, nearly six assists per game over those last uh, three seasons, which is, is really impressive in college. We said it before when we're on the Dallas side. It's not easy to pile up assists in the college game. And yet he did. Um, you know, and he, and, and I'll go back to what I said before too. He's got good size for the position. He's about six foot three, fairly stocky kid. So he, he held his ground well. Um, you know, he's, he's pretty tough in there, you know, tough minded kid. So, you know, I'd like to see him get a shot. And it's not, it's not exactly like this Denver team is loaded at the point guard position. That's probably, <laughs> you know, for, a, for a team that has, incredible depth at every other spot. They don't have anything at point guard behind Jameer, Jameer Nelson and Emmanuel Moutier because people keep saying it, and I'm going to keep saying they're wrong. Jamal Murray is not a point guard. Correct, yeah. He is a strictly shooting guard, and to be honest, if Gary Harris was not there at the two-guard spot, then we would be talking about Jamal Murray sliding in as a starting oh, shooting 100%. guard. Not not the starting point guard. I, I swear if I hear another person, I'm right there with you, say he's a point guard. He is not a point guard. This is the year that is make or break for Emmanuel Moutier. This is it. I think Denver cuts ties if, if Moutier doesn't step up yeah. um, because I think Morris could step right in and, and do a better job. All right, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit a couple things there. I think Murray mm-hmm. can play point guard if he's playing it on the second unit 
and he's that kind of combo guy. So I think he's really a great third guard, you know, because I think he can play some minutes against second units next to Harris if they had to, but it's got to be against backup point guard. He's not going to defend Steph Curry or Chris Paul or, no. you know, no. those guys, you know, he's not going to, not going to do that. Um, and then Moutier, I'm going to even go as deep as saying, if he looks bad in the preseason and then in the first couple weeks of the season, because they don't have to pick up his fourth-year rookie scale option until the end of October, I don't think they'll pick it up. I think they may just say, forget it. We're done. We're not picking this up, and he becomes a yeah. you know, just a big-time thing. That said, I think he's – I think he – I don't – I have nothing to back this, <laughs> but I think he's going to bring something. A little bit different this year. I think he's going to be pretty good. But I think Jameer Nelson, ancient Jameer Nelson, you know, running around our age, he is, I think he's going to be their starter. Again. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And I, and you know what? He's steady. He knows what he's doing. He doesn't hurt you. Really doesn't necessarily help you too much, but I think he's going to start. So, so let let me ask you another question though. Cause right. So we just said they have no depth at point guard. Beyond that, is this the deepest team in the NBA? Oh, um, not necessarily in like top end, big time, you know, depth, but every other guy <laughs> other than Lyman, deepest the power forward, I would say that. deepest there, but even right. Murray Harris at shooting guard, Barton at shooting guard, Chandler Barton at the um three. You got Hernan Gomez can play both forward spots a little bit. I mean, this yeah, team, they have versatility. Yeah, it, it's they're up super there. deep, though, right? I mean, you've got really yeah. kind of you're too deep, I would say. And I'm, and I'm including Plumley being re-signed in this, obviously. I think you're reasonably too deep at every position if Moutier can step forward. Yeah, because for me, I mean, just kind of how I saw that in my mind, um, you know, it'd be Jokic Plumley center spot. Yep. You could slide over Farid if you really needed to. Yep. Um, at the center spot. Then you've got Nilsap, um, you've got Hernan Gomez, Lyles, Arthur, and Leiden all at the ability to play the power okay, forward so spot. Farid can play the four. Yeah, Farid yep. can slide or stay at the four yep. um, if he doesn't slide to the five. Then um, you've got guys like you mentioned, like Hernan Gomez could slide down to the three if he needed to. you still got Barton who could slide up from the two to the three um, behind Chandler who could also slide. Chandler could slide to the four. If he's, you know, whenever he's not starting at the three, um, and then you've got um, Harris Barton and Malik Beasley there at the shooting guard spot, Murray's yep. at the shooting guard spot. Um, then you've got Nelson Murray and Moutier all have the ability to play um, the point guard spot. So yeah, I think yeah, you've got a good point. Right, there. I, I taught well, you talked yourself into it, but yeah, I, <laughs> yeah, I had to kind of look and break it down to myself, and, and it was like yeah. And now you know, so I mean, I think we're all in agreement. They got to move one of these one of these four men. You know, you got to do something there because it's just too many. But it's really it, it can be tough when you get that many guys because a lot of these guys are young and they need to play. Um, mm-hmm. What I'm excited for is as I. You know, just finished killing Murray is not a point guard. I do want to see some minutes where it's Murray, Harris, Chandler, Millsap, and Jokic together. Mm-hmm. Cause I think that could be a devastating offensive lineup. I just, I don't know how teams defend that. Now, I know you know this and listeners will come to know. I love Gary Harris. I think mm-hmm. that guy is awesome. I think he is one of the 
best shooting guards in the entire NBA. And I think people don't know because he's played on Denver, who hasn't been very good. And he's also not super showy. But this guy is good. And I don't think people realize how good he is. And I'm just gonna, I'm gonna give, give a little bit here. He shot over 50% last year from the floor. And now people, well, he must have just scored inside. He shot 42% from three <laughs> on 4.5 three point attempts per game. Now he missed some time. He only played in 57 games. So, you know, but, but that was not, he's not in, I don't want to call him injury prone. That was more of a freaky no. thing. 2.9 assists per game, four, you know, nearly 15 points per game. I mean, I, I go on and on and on. Now, I have this irrational attachment to Michigan State players for no good reason other than I think Tom Izzo's fantastic, and I think every single one of his teams is going to be – every single one of his players is going to be a great NBA player. You know, and that, that comes back to bite me. Brandon Dawson, if anybody remembers that guy, he oh, yeah. sucked and I thought he was going to be good. Um, but you know, I, I was one of the guys who was early on. I was like, I was like, Draymond Green's going to be a player. I did not think he'd be what he is now, but right. you know, and that's why I, you know, have this love for Gary Harris, but he's really, really good. And I don't think enough people know. Yeah. And, and I think he takes a little bit of a leap, you know, uh, scoring wise mm-hmm. because he, he takes a, um, you know, some of that offensive production there that, um, was vacated by Danilo Gallinari because I don't think that, um, people are saying, oh, well, Millsap's going to come in and he's going to, you know, put up, you know, 18 to, to 20 points. I don't think he has to on this team. Yeah. I think he's capable yeah. of it, but he doesn't have to because you've got Jokic right there at near 17 points a game last season. You've got Harris there capable of 17 points. So I could, I could see a bunch of guys. They're in that range. And then you've got Jamal Murray that's going to make a leap because he's going to get more than 22 minutes a game, um, this season. Yeah. And, and I think he, and I think he takes a leap with another year of experience because that 10 points a game is going to get up to, you know, that 13 range or so. Um, Denver is going to be a serious team to look out for, I think. Yeah. So, so that's, that's where I want to go, go next because, because the rest of it, this is pretty, pretty simple, right? They still need to resign Plumley. Maybe look to move her forward. But beyond that, that's about it. You know, if they could move her forward for another point guard, a real point guard, that'd be ideal. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and, you know, I'm not, I don't want to get into, let's start making up fake trades here, but I think that would be ideal for them. And then they have between 2.7 and $8.6 million in cap space left. That all depends on what Plumley does. And when they resign him, they'll effectively be out of cap space. But just looking at it briefly, it is the Northwest Division now. There's not a bad team in that division. No. Because Oklahoma City we know is going to be really good. We, I think we're both in agreement Denver's going to take a big step forward. Minnesota's going to be good. Utah is still, I know they lost Hayward, but they're still probably the best defensive team in the NBA. So they're going to be good. And then Portland is good. It's that's the only thing keeping me from saying the Nuggets are a surefire 100% a playoff team is mm-hmm. is it's it's going to be tough just within their own division. Never mind just within the Western Conference. Really, you know, I was looking through it and I was like, is there a path where that entire division makes the playoffs? And it, I was just thinking that when we were kind of going through. Right, it's kind of open because if you said the Spurs and Rockets. 
out of the Southwest, if you said, all right, the Grizzlies step back, the Pelicans and Mavericks don't make it. And then if you really said, all right, the Clippers are the team that kind of falls, somebody you know, season always falls apart. If it's the Clippers yeah. whose season falls apart, Kings, Lakers, Suns, they're not going to make it. So that leaves just the Warriors. You could see the entire Northwest division in the playoffs. Yep. Yep. I was thinking that because it really comes down to, like you said, with the Clippers, because if Blake Griffin's not ready to start the season and they don't get the production, I know we'll, We'll, we'll talk, um, Clippers in, you know, another, another episode, but, um, or before, um, and with, with Tia, uh, Tia Doshitz and Beverly and things like that, they're not going to get the production, I think, out of, um, CP3. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, so that opens up, you know, all those because I'm not, I mean, I'm not super high on, you know, certain other teams and, and I'm not going to spoil it or anything like that. But, um, yeah, I, I thought that. Because I'm high on on Utah, I'm high on Denver. I'm not as high. Some people have Minnesota like fifth <laughs> or even fourth for that matter. Yeah, and I'm I like want to go crazy. Um, so yeah, I can't I can't put them up that high. Um, if anything, out of the Northwest, I think Portland may dip a little bit. If, if I had to pick a team to, to kind of dip um, record wise, I don't think out of the playoffs, but maybe not as. As good as they were last year. Well, last year though, remember right? They they had that late push because they only went forty one and forty one. So, two years ago right. they were really good. Um, right. Yeah, but yeah, that that whole division I think has a chance. You know, legit shot. I think everybody you know should be in there. It's that we should petition. Let them move the T wolves to the east just just for the <laughs> you know we'll slide. I don't know. I, I don't know who we'll slide the bulls over to the west. You know, for the season, go. just a just a little bit of balance. That'd be fair. Um, but yeah, so that that's really it. That's gonna close close us out. Minus our final last question for the Denver Nuggets. And that's up or down. I'm gonna go ahead and guess. Both of us feel like they're up. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Too good of a team with you know your favorite guy Gary Harris. Um, I really like Jamal Murray. Everybody loves Nikola Jokic. And then you get uh you know the last four year running All Star and Paul Millsap to go with you know a um, motivated Wilson Chandler at the small forward spot. I think, you know, they're, they're going to be good. Yeah, they, they, they are. They're going to be really, really good. I think, um, you know, I, I, they're, it's time. You know, I want to see them back in the playoffs. I want to watch those guys play. You know, they're just, they're, and they're so much fun to watch. You know, we, we talk about it all the time. We're both East Coast guys. So you want those later games just to be fun. Um, yeah, make it worth it for me having to stay up. <laughs> yeah, and I know I was looking, and you know, you know who else thinks they're going to be good? The NBA and the broadcasters, because they get a handful of national TV games now too. Um, and they, what they did was they normally started that nine o'clock window, which is kind of a sweet spot because it's kind of yep. right in the middle there for us, so we don't have to stay up super late. But they slid them to a lot of ten and ten thirty starts this year, which yep. is you know shows that the NBA also believes in them. Um, as well as I, I, I guess I want to show off the the new Nike uniforms that that <laughs> I know you're not super super thrilled with them, but I I thought they were kind of different. Yeah, uh, you're you're more on the powder blue side, and I'm more on the I like the navy. Yeah, I don't like those navy ones at all. I think they look exactly like the Pacers, and that's stupid. Mm. So you know, I uh, you know, they, they, well, I don't think Nike's sending me any Denver Nuggets gear anyway. But it's you know, yeah. go back to that powder blue, or you know, go back to those rainbow ones. Those were a lot of fun. Um, yeah, those were. Those, yeah. I would imagine those might be the ones that get broken out as one of the you know alternate. I, I'm not even gonna pretend to 
act like they know what the silly names are that they came up for all these stupid things. Association and nonsense one, two, and three. Um, so, <laughs> so that'll, uh, that'll close us out here. Really high note. Good job closing the show on that one. Um, but yeah. you know, this was the uh, NBA front off show. I'm your host, Keith Smith. You can find me on Twitter at Keith Smith NBA. And I, you know, at this point now, we're going to start trying to hit these on a more regular basis. Um, hopefully we don't have any more big superstar trades to interrupt our flow here. We can start knocking out two to four teams minimum per week as we head into the regular season. And then what, what the plan is that a couple people ask once we get closer to the season, Pete and I will be reacting to roster cutdowns and then the rookie extensions as well as the, um, guys who have their team options picked up on that are currently on rookie scale or don't have those picked up. We're going to um, do a whole show where we go through and, you know, should they, shouldn't they pick it up on, on all these guys. So the, the spoiler alert, yes, you probably should, unless the guy really stinks, um, you know, because it never works out if you don't. But uh, what we're going to come at you next with is the Detroit Pistons. So, yeah, heading back east um, once again. But then we're going to go to the Golden State Warriors. So that'll be a lot of fun to talk uh, two teams, uh, Golden State kind of middle of the pack team in the east, and then Golden State absolutely the best team in the NBA. But, you know, there's uh, – and they had a couple people like, we don't need to talk to them because they didn't do anything. Yeah, they, they did, and it's kind of fun the way they put it all together. Yeah. So we'll get into that one. But, Pete, tell everybody where they can find you on social media and Twitter and the like. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. That's what I use the most. It's at Pete Toll MBA. So it's P-E-T-E-T-O-A-L-M-B-A. Um, always love to talk basketball, things like that. And, um, you know, shoot me a follow and, and I, I'd like to follow back and, and have healthy, uh, discussions about all things NBA. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, Pete Pete knows his stuff, guys. Get it get out there. Get his follower count up too. Let's get his follower count up. And again, we said it in the middle of the show, but if you really enjoy the show, please head over to iTunes. Give us a five star rating and review. You do it on whatever podcast player you use. iTunes is just the the most popular and prominent one that folks use. And tell a friend if you don't like the show again, reach out to us and let us know. You know, I don't like the show. I don't like this about it. I don't like that about it. You just say your show sucks again we're going to just ignore that because that's just noise. But if you come with some constructive criticism of your show sucks, but here's why, that's that's why I was about to say, that's great. No, that's not great. I don't want to hear <laughs> that. But, you know, but that, that's good for us. That's how we'll get better. That's how we're going to give you the show we want. But, again, this has been the NBA Front Office Show. I'm your host, Keith Smith. We are part of the Almighty Baller Network, and we will talk to you next time. An ad from Dad. Save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Yeah. Tell you another way to save money. Don't buy those uh, expensive coffees every morning, you know. Then you can save up for a, I don't know, really nice dress shirt. I'm just saying. It's great that you feel comfortable here at work, but, you know, an adult could walk in. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations. All right, let's pull up over here and drop a line. Are your feet wet? My feet are wet. Here's the drain plug. You put the plug in the drain, right? Ah, it's on the dock.
There's a reason they say curse like a sailor. <laughs> Many reasons. Progressive's boat insurance has you covered. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates.